if you will, turn with me to Matthew 12. Something I, I think we're all really familiar with, of course. And we're going to begin reading in verse 38. Matthew 12 says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man of three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know, Jesus said again here, reading in verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. You know, in fact, there's another Bible translation out there, and that's just really when, when it was so critical that I preached this in Sierra Leone. It says, only, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. We need to pause for a moment because we have a problem here. And the problem is this. The fastest growing element or denomination of Christianity today is the Pentecostal charismatic church. That's not casting shades of darkness upon them, but one of their mainstays is seeking and proclaiming signs and wonders. We saw it all around us when we arrived in Freetown. We had never seen anything like that when we were in Zambia. But literally every church proclaimed to be some type of charismatic movement, even the so-called Baptist churches. We used to have in our, uh, the last video we had put together, we, we opened it up showing all of these banners throughout the city. Even entire billboards were taken out proclaiming. And it's a problem when around the world, this is the movement that everyone is drawn to. When our missionaries are being questioned, why? Why don't we worship in this manner? Why don't we speak in tongues? Why aren't we having healing services? Notice I didn't say praying services. I said healing services. We have a problem here because in my belief or my feeling, you know, at best, it's anti-biblical. We saw Jesus just proclaim the evilness of it. And at the very worst case, it's anti-Jesus. So now already, I've already made some of you mad at me and rankled you. You know, be before you start the lynching party, let's just backtrack and say for a second, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for God to heal as only he can. I don't believe they're here this morning, you know, but I'm not saying not to pray if a miracle is needed that it's wrong to ask for that miracle. In fact, we know God is still in the miracle business according to his perfect will. And that's the key. It's his will. We're not, you know, what is the issue? The issue is our faith. What is our faith grounded in? Or more correctly, what has our place been mis misplaced in? And then the question that we have to answer is what is the foundation that your faith is based on? And so that takes us really to the, the portion of Scripture that we're going to expound upon today. Flip over just a couple pages to Matthew 16. Just a, a well, I always say it's a great portion of Scripture, but truly this is. And then there's, we're going to see there's areas that uh, has caused problems in the Christian community also. Matthew 16, in beginning reading in verse... Uh, 
Where did I want to start? 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that, say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then, of course, verse 20 says, He charged the disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Right away, let's set this aside so we can get over it and we can move past it. Verses 17 through 19 has been one of the most hotly debated texts in all of Christianity, in all of Scripture, if you will. We will not spend a lot of time here but to say this and to know this, that Jesus used two different words in the Greek here. When he said, thou art Peter, he said, thou art Petros. And that means literally a small stone. Also, his name Cephas that we find in Scripture, the Aramaic of, of uh, Petros, means small stone. When Jesus said, upon this rock or upon this Petra, it means a very large rock. And he said he would build his church upon it. It being Peter's confessional statement, not the man. How do I know this? I believe absolutely 100%. It's not an, an, an accident or coincidental. You know, just five verses later, Jesus had to rebuke Peter severely, comparing him to Satan at that moment. That phrase that he said, get thee behind me, Satan, could literally be interpreted to get off your throne, man. How could God build his church on such a fallible man like Peter? I want to zero in today, specifically on verse 16, because we cannot let man's fallible understanding of this dialogue distract us. And that's really what happens, I think, all the time. It distracts us and takes us away because it was Peter speaking and not Jesus in verse 16. But verse 16 said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Three exclusive statements there. And I hope everyone knows by now really what I want to do, if you'll allow me, I want us to define those three terms. So we get all, we're going to level the playing ground, and hopefully we'll all be in perfect harmony and agreement. Challenging for Baptists to do, I understand, especially independent Baptists. But I think it's critical for us to come to this conclusion. Hopefully we all know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. He's not Jesus Christ as Greg Corcoran, as Larry Owens, or Chuck Sisler, or wrong, but Christ is a title. The Greek word that was used here was Christos, and the little interpretation means anointed one. When it's used as a title word, it's talking about and meaning the Savior and Redeemer who would bring salvation to the whole house of Israel. And as Christians, 
we believe that Jesus is that Israelite Messiah. It's foretold in both the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Old Testament, our Bible. And as a result, the word Christ has come to be used as a title and a name synonymous with Jesus. Next is the Son, the second element of Peter's statement. It's not one of the sons. It's not one of many sons, as some groups try to, to really kind of jam down our throat, if you will. But he said it's the Son, which quite literally means Jesus is God. And that, no other meaning. Paul said in Colossians 2, 9, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you know, that's to say, whereas no man has seen a physical image of God, have we? Scripture tells us that, but we know his attributes. But now in Christ, the Son, we see a bodily, physical image of God and his glory with all of God's divine attributes on full display. <clears throat> John 1.14 said, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, Father, full of grace and truth. John 3, 16, of course, most of us could recite it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I want us to just take apart this phrase only begotten for a moment. It's found six times as only begotten, translated from the Greek. And forgive my pronunciation, but the best attempt I can is monogenes, Spelled M-O-N-O-G-E-N-E-S, for those that are taking notes. But this word is also translated into the English word only three times in our Bible. As if in the use of only, or the one and only rather, and only begotten. So the key to fully understanding this is really, you know, and, and uh, we were always taught in Bible college, be careful what you say in terms of uh, maybe anything that could be, be perceived as criticizing the King James. So let me say right off the bat, that's not my intent at all. I believe it has been preserved as the example for us to use today. Now, I'm not finding fault if, if you've got another version. Sometimes Jackie has another version with us, and, and that's okay. But the ideal is here that to really understand this phrase, we need to take it apart in the Greek and not the English meanings, if you will. This word monogamous has two primary usages. It pertains to being the only one of its kind within a specific relationship. If we use Hebrews 11 as our example, it tells us that Isaac was Abraham's only begotten son. Now, those of us that know the Bible know that Abraham had other sons. There was other sons other than Ishmael. But what are we talking about here is Isaac was the only son that he had by Sarah, and thereby he is the only son of the covenant promise. Therefore, it's the uniqueness of Isaac that we find that makes, uh, or among the other sons, that allows him to be called the only begotten. Secondly, the word monogamous describes the only one of its kind or class. It, it means unique. There's a whole lot of unique people sitting out here today, isn't there? <laughs> You know, I was, I, Pam, I loved your shoes. 
I loved your shoes, and it reminded me. I, I came up today, those maybe didn't notice, I've got my Pat Boone buckskins on. <clears throat> you have to be over 50 probably to know who Pat Boone was. And, uh, you know, I, the reality, what made me laugh, because she's got her bright boot, uh, white boots on today. I, Jackie knows, I've been searching and searching trying to find a pair of black and white saddle shoes. Because I want to make that kind of statement when I'm out there in my first impressions gear and just, you know, just be that, that guy. And, and really, if I could find them that would fit over a bunion that's the side of an egg, I probably would have saddle shoes on. Because if I can't try them on, I can't, I can't buy them. You don't believe it's the size of an egg? I'll show you later. But the ideal is being unique. And this is the meaning that's implied in John 3.16. We find it also in John chapter 1, verses 14 and 18. And the reality is it's all through the book of John. Remember John, as he was closing out the writing of his gospel, he said that in, as much in John 20, verse 31, that it was his desire to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. So he uses monogamous there to highlight Jesus as uniquely God's Son. He shares that same divine nature as God. And this is the contrast to believers. You and I, you know, we're called sons and daughters also of God's. But there's a difference between Jesus' being that unique, only begotten. We're called that sons and daughters by adoption in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And the last of these phrases that Peter declared here, of the living God, was given to the one true God to distinguish him. Remember, they lived in a time of idols, and we're still seeing that. Make no mistake, the world is full of idolatry worship today. But, you know, to distinguish between those idols of made of stone or lifeless blocks or metal, we know of, of bronze being used and gold being used. Jesus, or yes, Jesus is the only source of life through God, physical, spiritual, and eternal life. That word living also was given to God in the Old Testament, amen? Joshua 3.10 said, And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gergesites and the Amorites and the Jebusites, Otherwise, maybe sometime known as the Gang of Seven. Amen. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Jeremiah 10, 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. And an everlasting king, at his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide in his indignation. You know, therefore, in Peter's confessional statement, Peter was expressing his full belief now. Travis and I was discussing it earlier in the week and, and he had taught from this before and he, and he focused on the idea that the other disciples were silent at this moment. We know Peter's always the one quickly to step out, isn't he? He's the one, the only one who stepped out of the boat by faith to walk to his Savior. When Jesus said, come, 
But, you know, let's be clear, the, some of the disciples had already made, you know, not a conclusive or not an all-inclusive statement of faith, but they had made confessions of faith earlier, prior to this one. But the belief is that Jesus was the long-expected Messiah. Peter was convinced of this. In fact, Jesus said, it wasn't by man's learning that you came about this, but it was the Heavenly Father that had given him that knowledge. And now... Peter was not ashamed to confess it. Therefore, if you will, allow me to read this one more time. Matthew 15, or 16 rather, verse 15 and 16. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? He was speaking to all the disciples here. But Peter spoke and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Emphasis added is mine. Those three statements is the foundation that the church is built upon. Jesus said it himself. It's the key, this one truth, nothing else. It's so easy for us to get off caught up today and, and you know, we can find things to argue and bicker and split about. But if we will stay rooted on this foundational statement, we're not going to fail as any foundation of faith. You know, or any other foundation of faith is what I'm trying to say. Look, pause for a moment. Man, I'm getting so dry by the mouth. And all of God's people said they are suffering by allergies. Amen. You know, I spent all day outside, and boy, I've paid for it ever since. All day yesterday, that is. But you know, any other foundation of faith really is, is if you built it on ship, shifting sand. And it's ultimately going to fail. It's going to lead to disappointment, to heartache, to, to desperation. When we feel that God isn't answering the prayer that we wanted him to answer, the way we wanted him to answer it, or the answer's not coming quick enough, or God, surely you know the need. Why aren't you meeting it? It can lead to literally utter bitterness if we allow it to. I believe if that, in, if that foundation is tacked in any one way, if we're missing any one piece, that it's like walking around with a target on our back. And make no mistake, Satan is constantly firing his fiery darts all the time. We may not be aware of him, amen? But he is. He's there. The Bible says he's walking around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, may devour. You know, in the King James Version of the Bible, the word faith appears 336 times. I thought for fun today we'd look at all 336 verses. <laughs> no, not really. That, that's not my ideal of fun either. But, you know, if it's 336 times, I think God thinks it's pretty important that we get it right. Amen? So consider just some of the following. And really, I've just chose phrases instead of the whole verses for the sake of our time. Matthew 9.22 says, Thy faith hath made thee whole. And he spoke that to the woman who had healed with the issue of blood. 929, just a few verses later, Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. As he spoke to the, the man who had been born blind and mute, and he healed him. You know, when the father brought his demon-possessed son before Jesus, and he said the disciples couldn't heal him. And Jesus had spoke to the disciples and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you in Matthew 17? Mark eleven twenty two, 22, Jesus says, have faith in God. 
Luke 7, 50, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. The sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet was the recipient of that words of encouragement. Go in peace. Wouldn't we all like to go in peace when we leave God's house? Romans 5, 1, justified by, justified by faith. Verse 2, have access by faith into this grace. Ephesians 2, 8. You know, Jackie knows this. When we were in Zambia, because of the Roman Catholic influence that Zambia had received over the years of missionary endeavors, we, we wouldn't start in Romans. If we were approaching anyone and wanted to witness to them and try to share the word of God, we would start in Ephesians 2.8. And verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. You see, without faith, I believe there's no grace received. That grace is out there. It's being offered. It's, it's not unlike, I, I don't know if they have them anymore. Do they still have like carousels or merry-go-rounds where you pluck the rings off the, off the pole? Man, I remember as a kid riding on those things in those days of frustration when I just, man, that ring was just always out of reach. But then what a day it was when you finally grabbed one and you didn't fall off the horse. But that's the way it is. That grace is out there. But without the faith, it's out of reach. We can't claim it. We know our Bible definition of faith from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And what? The evidence of things not seen. It's not based on the signs and wonders that we can see. But verse 6, or verse 6 says rather, but without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now I look at the time, oh boy, I have raced through this. You know, that's the way it is sometimes. My mind, I've had this on my heart. But I want us to, in concluding, remember this dialogue that Jesus had with Thomas. You know, the one we call Doubting Thomas. Most of us have heard of this guy. Jesus said in John 20, verse 27, he said, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. You know, as we celebrated the resurrection, those hands were prominent as Jesus hung on the cross and was taken from the cross and buried and rose again on the third day. He would show his hands as a sign. He said, Thomas, reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, the side that had been pierced as he hung on the cross. And Jesus said these words, And be not faithless, but believing. And that's our encouragement today. Be believing. Don't leave here without faith. Thomas declared in verse 28, he said, My Lord and my God. That's what we each need to declare today. And isn't it a time to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Not just the Savior, but to really turn your life over. And say, God, I want you to, to be my Lord. I want you to direct every step, every thought, every word I speak and say. That I might be that open book. And then Jesus said in verse 29, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. <clears throat> Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Has any of us seen Jesus' body in the flesh? I don't believe so. Not when he was alive and not when he was resurrected. So that verse is for us. Amen.
Jesus said we would be blessed when we've accepted Christ. You know, folks, the reality is we cannot see Jesus. I was going to say again, but we'll not see him for the first time without having believed that he is the Messiah, your Savior. Consider one last thought, if you will, in closing. Remember, as Peter made this confessional statement in Matthew 16, Jesus said he would build his church upon it. Nothing else, the sole foundation. It's not built on uh, church doctrine, church creeds. There's nothing wrong with confessional statements, providing they're based on this foundational truth, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if Jesus was willing to build his church upon that, shouldn't we plan our faith on the same? With Jesus as your Christ? Nothing else will do. Everything else will fall short. As Jesus being the Son of the one and only true living God. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.